Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, notice uh, some of the words of that hymn that we just sang, uh, Lord of Sabaoth, Lord Sabaoth. That doesn't mean Lord of the Sabbath. It means that our God is a God of war. He is a God who punishes the evildoer. He is the one who defends his people. Uh, that's who Christ is. Uh, Lord Sabaoth, his name. He wins the victory. We are people that can have great confidence because Christ is our Lord. Christ is our King. Christ is the one who upholds all things in heaven and on earth. And He does so with the word of His power. He is the one who defends His people. He is the one who is long-suffering and patient with His people. He is the one who provides the victory in Himself for His people. What great confidence that we can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, even as we see here with Jonah, so it is oftentimes in our lives that we have an agenda and we want God to rubber stamp our agenda. We want God to be on our agenda page. We want things the way that we want it, and that is not how God operates in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of men. He is Lord, we are His servant, and we are called to serve Him and to get on God's agenda page. We are to do as He calls us as His people. He is Lord. It is just an, an, a contradiction in terms to call Him Lord and then do not do what He says. He is the Lord. He is King. He is Lord the Sabaoth. He is the one who rules, who brings war. He is the one who puts down. He is the one who raises up. That's really what you're seeing here in Jonah. You're seeing that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over all people groups. He is sovereign over those that are on the ship with Jonah. Maybe some of them being Ninevites. He is sovereign over the Ninevites. He is sovereign over the Israelites. He is sovereign over all the Enies and all the Ites of Scripture. He is the sovereign one over all things. And He will accomplish His good plan and purpose. God is compassionate. We find that here in this account of Jonah. We find that God is long-suffering. That He is forgiving. He is compassionate. He forgives and He does so not because we're just great people. He does so for His glory and according to His purpose. This is the God that we worship. Why are you saved, beloved? What is it about salvation? Why has God snatched you out of the muck and the mire and brought you to Himself? You who were an enemy of God in your mind, who were a hater of God, why did He draw you to Himself? Why did He wash you in the blood of the Lamb and make you white as wool? Why? Now if you're saying because I, then you are no longer in the realm of biblical Christianity. You have stepped out of the pale of Scripture. It is only for the purpose and praise of God. We are redeemed to the praise of the glory of His grace. That we can look to nothing in ourselves to say, God saved me because I. God saves us in spite of ourselves. Because there's no one in here who is redeemed, who desired to be redeemed. 
The unbeliever doesn't desire redemption. He doesn't desire to come to the Lord. Oh, he desires all the benefits, but he doesn't want God. The believer wants God, wants Christ, wants things holy and righteous, wants the kingdom of Christ. This is what the true believer wants. The unbeliever wants all the goodies. Give me the things and I'll be good with the things. No, the believer wants the Lord. As a byproduct, the Lord gives us many things to enjoy. But our seeking and our desire as the redeemed is for Christ. This is what you find here in Jonah. You find the Lord redeeming, coming to Nineveh, a great city. A city of many hundreds of thousands of people. And they are a pagan city. They are a God-hating city. Well, why would God come to them? Why did He come to us? Because that was the same heart condition that we were in when God rescued us from our sin and misery. God is compassionate. Eventually, the Lord brought judgment upon uh, the Ninevites. But in this account of Jonah, it's mercy. God brings mercy. He comes with mercy. He comes with compassion. He comes with the good news. He comes of repentance. So Jonah is not having any of it. He can't stand the Ninevites. He hates the Ninevites. He has no desire for the salvation of the Ninevites. Isn't it amazing? No desire for individuals, a multitude, a great city. No desire for them to be saved. Now, how often do you think the church of Jesus Christ falls into that? With our attitude of, you know what, they're not like us. We don't want them here with us. They're not like us. We don't want to take the gospel to the nations. Yeah, but we're under divine command to take the gospel to the nations. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world. This is a responsibility the church has, is to take the gospel everywhere we go. To all creatures, the Apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians, to all creatures under heaven, we bring the good news of the gospel. We call to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter their ethnicity. But this can become a real stumbling block especially in the United States, as we hear and listen too much to what the country says about other people in those countries. And we began having attitudes about those who are not like us. They're not American. That's the attitude of Jonah, isn't it? You know, we don't like the Chinese because the China virus came from China. So we're going to cut them all off. And they're all the same, right? If it's one, it's all of them. It's a false philosophy that you have there. We often do that. Knee-jerk reaction. Look at it in the United States how we behave with knee-jerk reaction. In, in the history of the aviation and all of the airlines, how many of the things have happened? It, it's really minuscule. 
of people trying to hijack and things is highlighted. But of all the flights that have been flown, and how much does that happen? Not very much. But we've got to have a whole new agency now. And a huge inconvenience to get on an airplane because of one or two incidents. And you think, well, you know, you had this at 9-11. Again, isolated, right? How many times have planes flown and nothing has ever happened, but then all of a sudden something happens and you've got to change all the policies? Knee-jerk reaction. We can't fall into that. You know, that's what we hear on the news and we get indoctrinated that way. We become behaving that way. We become just like Jonah. We don't want to take the gospel to the nations. And yet, this is what the Lord calls us to. Now I'm going to give you an account in the New Testament. Peter is one who goes with uh, the household of Cornelius and he proclaims the gospel to them. And the Holy Spirit, I mean, these are Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit falls upon them, redeems them, and they begin speaking in tongues. Now you understand something. How else would they know that these individuals were redeemed except for the sign that God gave to them? They began speaking in other languages which were not previously learned. So there was a sign given to them and they were then had the understanding that the Lord had regenerated souls and brought them into the kingdom. So Peter goes back and he tells the Jews and they immediately say, you went in to eat with uncircumcised men. They're dogs. They're outcasts. And Peter says, look, this is what happened. I was at Simon the Tanner's house and I was up on the roof and I, in a trance, the Lord let down a sheet three times with all kinds of critters in it. And the Lord said, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, not so, Lord. Nothing unclean or common has ever entered my mouth. And the Lord told me three times, whatever I have cleansed, you must not call common. And immediately, there was a knock at the door. And guess what? Three Gentiles. Peter got the vision. He knew what the Lord was saying. God had cleansed the Gentiles and bringing them into the body of Christ that there would be one new man in Jesus Christ the middle wall of partition broken down. No more separation. For in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. There is neither slave or free. We are one in Christ. You're not in Christ because you're a male or a female. You're not in Christ because you're a Jew or a Gentile. Or you're slave or you're free. It is God's sovereign purpose to bring together one new man in Jesus Christ. They understood it. Acts chapter 10 and 11. And they realized that. And the attitude changed. You see what happened is they got on God's agenda page. And they began to realize that the Old Testament prophesied of Gentiles being included into the body of Christ. And so they said, then God has granted unto the Gentiles salvation unto life. And they rejoiced and they went preaching the gospel. And many Gentiles became those that were coming into the body of Christ. And that is the attitude that we are to have as well. God has cleansed many from different tribes, tongues, and nations of this world. 
Revelation 5, there are going to be many from the north, south, east, and west that are going to come in and sit down with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And the sons, those to originally that the call came, they will be cast out for unbelief. So, we go. We go and we go with the gospel. Red, white, yellow, blue, it doesn't matter. We go with the gospel. People are people. And every human being needs Jesus. And we are not to be a people that makes discriminations in that way. That's what the world does. The world calls them different races. They're not different races. There's one race, the human race. We all come from one blood. Different tribes, tongues, and nations of the world, but not different races. One race. And the world will have you think that there are multiple races and some are more superior than others. You don't think that that's the truth? What do you think Mein Kampf is all about? It's the super race, the white, the Caucasian race. The supermensch, to be the man of superiority over everybody else. Beloved, that ain't biblical. And you need to abandon that. Because if you don't, you will be like the priest and the Levite. When you see someone left in the ditch for dead, you will avoid them. You will walk on the other side. Because you won't have nothing to do them. And yet you say, well, I'm a religious person. Well, if it isn't in loving your neighbor, then I'll tell you something, you don't know God. Because those who know God, love God, love their neighbors. You cannot love God and not love your brothers and sisters and neighbors. It's an impossibility. 1 John 3, 1 John 4. So here we go with Jonah. The sea is in a rage. How is it in a rage? This is an uncommon, tempestuous turbulence of the sea. This is the word that the sailors use. This is uncommon. This is something they have never seen before. And like the Lord put his hand in there and started stirring up the water and it started going crazy, more tempestuous, vicious, turbulent than the sailors have ever seen in their life. And they were exceedingly afraid. And they are wanting then to calm the sea. They are wanting to bring some tranquility. They don't want to die at sea. So they said to Jonah, you know, what is this for? What do we do? What are we going to do? How can we resolve this issue? And he said in verse 11, they said, what shall we do to you that uh, the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. And Jonah says in verse 12, and he said to them, pick me up. And throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. Jonah is violating the sixth commandment here. Whether he is suicidal. Going to the point of wanting to die. Rather than serving the Lord. Either way he's running himself into danger. By saying throw me into the violent sea. Because he was sure to drown. Death by drowning for Jonah. So he had the mindset that I am not going to serve the Lord, even though I'm a prophet. And God has called me to be a prophet, to take the word of God to the nations. I won't do it. 
And yet God is going to cause his prophet to fulfill his good will and pleasure. So, he says, I know that this great tempest is because of me. Everybody on the ship knew that it was God dealing with the waters. The sailors knew. Jonah knew. Notice something that they recognized as Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the God who created the land and the sea. He is God. And these sailors would have known of the God that Jonah worships. Why? Because they would have known of the Red Sea. They would have known of the Egyptians being drowned. They would have known of the Jericho walls tumbling down. They would have known these things because that's how people talked. Even as they do today, so they did then. There was a constant name and fame of God that would go out to all people. Even Rahab, when the spies came, she had heard, she knew what God had done to the, to the Egyptians. These men, they all knew. And so notice, notice how, is it strange, bizarre, that sometimes the pagan can act in a more noble way than a believer? Especially a disobedient one. You notice that? You notice there are times when a pagan can outdo a Christian in just being kind? Being a nice person? Being respectable? Being pleasant to talk to? That's a sad thing. But notice what we have here. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. You know how easy would it be to fix? You know, grab him by the scruff and throw that little dirt bag overboard. Because we've lost all kinds of cargo because of this wretch. He's the cause. We're not going to make money. I can't pay you guys because all of our profits and proceeds, they're in the sea. And it's all because of this little weasel. Grab him and throw him overboard. That's not what they do, is it? Jonah says, do it to me. And they won't. They're struggling. It says that they rode all the harder. The Hebrew term means that they were digging into it. You know what it means to dig? It means gritting down into your teeth, really putting your back into it. They were straining to get to land. It's amazing. Jonah doesn't even care for their salvation. He doesn't care for these men. He's concerned only for himself. Isn't that what sin does to us? It makes us concerned with me. It's all about me. I don't care about anybody else or anything else. Just as long as I get mine. That's what sin does to us. As you heard before, sin just simply outright makes us stupid. Irrational. Jonah is on the run and the Lord using the, in his providence the things of this earth that he has created. He is not allowing the prophet to escape him. Just think of it. Jonah is like in a swimming pool. He thinks he's in a great sea. He's just in a little pool. And God is the one who is in charge of that pool. 
And He is the one turning up the heat, turning on the wind and the waves. He is the one who is orchestrating all the goings-on right there. And there's more to it than just Jonah because all souls belong to the Lord. And therefore, those on the ship, the Lord is dealing with as well. So, nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Jonah's going overboard. You can see who is the one who is orchestrating this God. God is not allowing these men to get to land. The prophet has got to learn his lesson. He has got to be disciplined. He must be taught by the Lord. Have you been there? I've been there. I've been there numerous times in my Christian life. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. You ought to thank the Lord for that. Because if the Lord did not discipline those whom he loves, we would go headlong right back into the muck and the mire of the world. We would turn our back on the Lord in an instant. We would go back and we would lick up the vomit just like the dogs. That would be our life. But the Lord is not going to allow Jonah to escape this. He is teaching. He is instructing. Jonah is being instructed that the Lord Almighty, his purpose, will stand. I've called you as a prophet and you will do my good will and pleasure. So I, I, it's hilarious. That blows on the sea even more. Can you see him? Can you just see him gritting into it? Muscular sailors that are used to being out on the sea rowing with all their might. And here they are with every strain of their muscles and they're losing ground. And the Lord is just simply blowing on the waters. And they can't. So the sea became even more. Notice, more. They were fearful before. Now they are exceedingly fearful for the rage of the sea. And it was against them. It was pushing against them. Verse 14, Therefore they cried out to the Lord. Notice change here has taken place. See, I believe that these men, these sailors, were converted. Jonah speaks to them the word of God. He tells them what his purpose was and what he was going to Nineveh to do. And he also tells them that he is the one who worships the God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. He is a Hebrew, and this is the God that he worships. The God who upholds all things and the one who is controlling this little scenario here and it's because of my rebellion against him. He is the one. The sailors are witnessing all of this. They are getting it in the ear gate, in the eye gate. They are experiencing it firsthand, the discipline of Jonah. And I, I believe that the Lord brought them to salvation. You, you see it in the words that they use. Therefore, they cried out. They don't cry to Jonah. They don't tell Jonah, pray to your God. They cry directly to the Lord. Now, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Jonah's the preacher. Jonah is preaching despite of himself. And they're hearing. And the Holy Spirit is working. And he's brought men to faith. 
And these men turn. You know, it, it would be one thing, wouldn't it, if it was after the fact. Like the foxhole conversion type thing. Oh Lord, save us and then I'll do this for you. And then after it's done and they've been saved, well then you don't do it, you see. They, they don't keep their vows. This is before. They're calling on the Lord. And they say, Lord, we pray. Oh Lord. You know who it is? This, this is the covenant God. This is not some generic deity. This is Yahweh. That's who they are crying to. Please do not let us perish for this man's life. They don't know of what else to do, how else to approach this. They are certainly, in their mind, going to die at sea unless they do what they are going to do now in throwing him overboard. But they, they pray. Lord, don't let this be imputed to us. And so, they understand about this man's life and they do not charge us with innocent blood. Notice this, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. I mean, they, they had more solid biblical theology in this one verse than many Christians today. Because when you talk about luck and chance and fortune and just so happen and out of the blue and by a whim and coincidental... You're no longer in biblical language. You're no longer saying, even as these sailors, You, Lord, have done as you pleased. Thy will be done. You are the sovereign ruler. They knew of this God, and they knew God ruled. He is God. You know, Daniel, the same thing happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a man converted in the same way. When he came to his senses, Nebuchadnezzar said, Daniel's God, he's God. All the other false gods, the idols of the nations, they are nothing. Daniel's God, he's the God who rules and reigns. And no one can stop his hand. He does what he pleases in the kingdom of heaven and of men. And no one can thwart his will. That's the God that we worship. That is the God of Scripture. He is sovereign over all the nations, over all the people of the nations, over all the creatures of all the nations, all over all the animate objects and the inanimate objects of all the nations. He is God who rules. And I said once to a lady, is God so sovereign that he can save a person who doesn't want to be saved? And she says, oh, no, no. Well, you're no longer thinking of sovereignty then. Because God does what He pleases, how He pleases, when He pleases, with whom He pleases, and no one can stay His hand. He saves those whom He wills, who don't want to be saved. But He sweetly and softly bends the will so that they desire to do the will of God. It's ineffable. How does He do it? I have no idea. I once was blind, but now I see. I once dwelt in darkness, but now I am in the light. I once had a disdain for God, but now I love Him. How did that happen? It's ineffable. 
He sheds His love abroad in the heart by His Holy Spirit. He opens that which is closed. He softens the heart and heart. He takes out the stone and He makes it fleshly. It's palatable. It's pliable now. This is what God does. How does He do it? Through the ministry of the Spirit and the Word. That's what He did with these sailors. Hardened men who are crying out to the Lord. Jonah is just... It's a type here of Christ, isn't it? It's the one who gives his life for the many. Now there's always the breakdown as you have when you're dealing with types in the Old Testament with sinful people. But you can see the type. You can see that one is given. This is what Ananias uh, said who was a high priest. He said, "You, you guys are foolish. You don't even know. It is better for one man to die than the whole nation perish. It was the one for the many. Jonah's life for these men. Christ for a multitude which no man can number. Jonah does it unwillingly. Christ does it willingly. Jonah does it in anger, in spite. Christ comes to do thy will, O Lord. And so they pick Jonah up. They threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Can, can you imagine that scene? That the sea, how it speaks in the Hebrew is it became still. I don't know if you've ever been out in a storm and you've seen the raging of the wind. You know, being from Michigan, I've been out on Lake Michigan, Lake Erie, been in Lake Superior, and I've seen storms come from a distance, and when they come upon you and hit, it is just it's like, boom, now. And the water is up and the boat's rocking all over the place. And you are heading towards the land. And it's frightful. It's scary to see that. Once uh, Marie and I went to the Upper Peninsula. And uh, the Mackinac Bridge. It was so windy that day. You crossed Lake Superior. And it's a mile long. And it was so windy that the the bridge was, was moving. That's scary stuff. And we went anyway. Oh, to me, it was like a ride from Magic Mountain. Maria didn't appreciate it, but we got across. But it was frightful. Then all of a sudden, it's a complete calm. Can you see these sailors? Can you see their worship? Can you see their adoration? Because that's the word fear that is spoken of here. It's moral reverence for God. It's adoration. It is worship. They are worshiping the true and living God, Yahweh, Jonah's God. And it's through Jonah's testimony, it's through his witness, it's through him bringing the word that the Lord brings salvation. Beloved, don't ever discount your witness to people of Christ. Don't ever think somebody is so hardened that they will never come to Christ. You don't bring them. You bring the message. It is God who brings them. It is God who converts the heart. It is God who regenerates. It is the Lord that creates faith in the heart that they might believe on the only Savior. Keep on speaking. Don't be closed mouth. Come to the nations. Come to your family. Come to your friends. Come to your co-workers. And keep on speaking to them about Jesus. And watch the Holy Spirit do His work. Have confidence, beloved. The church today, I think the church has lost confidence in the the authority and the sovereign work of God through 
the wondrous word of God. That the Lord does redeem. Here's the occasion. Jonah's not giving a testimony. He's not doing a dog and pony show. Notice, he's not walking on the water. He's not turning any bread into a multitude to feed these men. He is simply telling them who he worships and what that God controls. And then when the Lord acts, notice, they are in awe. There is a work of conversion that has gone on. Sometimes... The Lord uses the difficulties of life to bring people to himself. Death of loved ones. Death of children. That's a hard thing. I can't say to any of you who have lost a child, whether by miscarriage or other, I can't say I know what you feel. I have no idea. I could say, I know it must hurt badly, but I have no idea how to experience that. I know what it means to lose loved ones, friends, relatives. I understand that. But not a child. I I haven't lost a child. And oftentimes the Lord uses those difficult things in our life to redeem others. When they look at you worshiping God in the midst of this trial and heartache that you don't deny the Lord. That you keep on giving glory to the God who has redeemed you. The one who holds your life and your breath in His hands, you keep on worshiping. You keep coming to corporate worship. You keep reading your Bible. You keep praying. You keep singing His praise. You say, the Lord gave. And the Lord gave for a certain amount of time. And the Lord owns all things. And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be His name. And you do that, beloved, oftentimes through tears. But you do it. Because you love the Lord. And there is much greater purpose on earth than my pleasure than the things that give me a pleasure and the things that are blessing to me. There is a much more grander purpose than those things. We've got to think outside of that. God gives us things and He gives it for a time and then He takes it. You know, you you see us here this morning. Five years. Some of us will be gone. We, we won't be here. And the Lord has given you in the fellowship and we've taken it for granted. We haven't thought about what a blessing it is to have family, friends, loved ones, brothers and sisters in Christ to enjoy for this time. Because that's all we have is right now, isn't it? Today our life, as we read in Psalm 39, is a vapor. It's fleeting. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. But in our worship, in our continuance, in our perseverance of praising God through the midst of sorrows, there are those that will come to believe and trust on Christ because of our testimony of the faith. Not of how God brought us to faith, but in us declaring The salvation in Jesus Christ. What Jesus has done for me. 
Don't ever give up. There's the account right here that's given to us. This is a, a great example of God redeeming individuals through one who is reluctant to bring the gospel to a, a huge city. And the Lord redeems these men on this ship. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Great adoration, great worship. They worship the Lord. Notice what they do. They, they offered sacrifice. Now, how do they do that? I don't know. It doesn't say, does it? But clearly, the sacrifice means an animal sacrifice. They must have had some food. They had to have some type of animals on the ship to feed the sailors. So I don't know. It doesn't say. We would only go to where the scripture teaches. I can't tell you. Well, it was a monkey. Well, it was... A, I have no idea. I don't know how they did it. But that the text says that they offered sacrifice to God. Was it when they got to land they offered sacrifices? It doesn't say, beloved. You see, just stop where the scripture stops. Stop trying to poke into places that the word of God doesn't allow you to. Because all your suppositions will be in error because God has not revealed that to us. Somebody asked me, who wrote the book of Hebrews? I don't know. You mean you're a pastor and you don't know? Well, you're a member of the church. You don't know either. It hasn't been revealed. Show me. Find it in scripture and show it to me. And then I'll tell everybody, this is who wrote the book of Hebrews. If it's not there, leave it alone. Go to bed at night, put your head on the pillow, praise the Lord, and go to sleep. Stop being concerned about things that God hasn't revealed. You know what? Be concerned about the things He has revealed. Because, let me say, many of you, way too many of you, are not concerned enough with the things that God has revealed. Because we've visited, and we've revisited, and we've talked, and I've said, where are you at in Scripture? Oh, I'm not, I haven't been reading Scripture. Well, shame on you. I said it to you again and again and again. No reason for you not to be in the Word of God. You are to be filled with God's Word, beloved. Then when you're filled with God's Word, notice your attitude about things begins to change because you have the mind of Christ. And it begins cultivating. And the mind of Christ says, go out into all the world and preach the Gospel. To Jews and Gentiles alike, either you are from the tribe of Judah or you are a Gentile. And we are to preach... Without discrimination, we bring the Word. And the Word of God teaches us this. The Word of God teaches us that our God is wondrous. What is too hard for the Lord? Remember that question he asked Sarah? The Lord told Abraham, this time next year when I return, Sarah is going to become pregnant. And she's in the back of the tent, and she laughs. And as she laughs within herself, she doesn't laugh out loud. And she comes to the front of the tent, and there's the Lord. And the Lord asks Abraham, why does Sarah laugh? Sarah butts in, I didn't laugh. Oh, you did laugh. And next year, at this time, when you name him Isaac, which means laughter, the laugh will be on you. And he says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And what that means, is there anything of God's good will and pleasure that he can't bring to pass? Why do we limit the Lord? 
Why do we limit him in the things that he has purposed in his word to bring to pass? He made a donkey speak. And he made the prophet not even recognize that his donkey is speaking to him. It's, it's amazing how we are as people. They feared the Lord. They offered sacrifices. And notice what they did. They took vows. That's serious, isn't it? Promise. They made promises to the Lord. We're going to see a baptism this morning. Not the baptism like Jonah got. We sprinkle. He got tossed. He got dumped big. But the parents make promises, vows before the Lord. And some of you have done the same thing. You have vowed before the Lord to pray with and pray for your children. And you haven't. God forgives. Confess it to the Lord. If you have kids in the home right now and you're not having family devotions and you're not praying with your kids, repent. Because you said you would. Let your kids see your godly example of piety is also something that's vowed in the administration of baptism. It's not an example of piety when you take kids, drop them off for Sunday school, and you don't come to Sunday school yourself. That's not a godly example of piety. We are those that are to make vows to the Lord. Those are good things. But as Ecclesiastes 5 says, don't make a vow and not keep it. Don't make vows with your fingers crossed behind your back. You know those superstitious people. If you vow, you pay your vows. These men were serious-minded, converted men. And the Lord did it. Just like he said, Lord, you have done it as pleased you. You have done as pleased you. You have redeemed our souls. We worship you. We worship, we praise, we sacrifice, we vow. They knew that they could only come to him through sacrifice. And they did. Beloved, we're living sacrifices. We come, we come to worship and serve the Lord, but we only come through Christ, but we come, we come as living sacrifices. And we keep on coming as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. Don't be like this world. Don't be conformed. Be being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can take the gospel to the nations, that you will have a love even for your enemies, because this is the ethic in the school of Jesus Christ. Amen. Shall we pray?